It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Hour two of Light the Tower rolling on here on this Tuesday edition. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker, Craig Way still out on vacation, but Mr. Way will be back in the morrow as the three of us, Jeff, we're going to be ready for Big 12 Media Days. I think we're going to have us and then Chad and say midday. We'll all be there to get things started. You know what? I lied. I said we were going to give away our copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football uh, at the end of Inconceivable. So if you're still hanging around, I'll give everybody a few minutes to get by the phone. 512-447-3776. 447-3776 is the hotline number. Right now, B, talking a lot about Quinn Ewers today. So caller number three. On the hotline, 447-3776. Caller number three right now is going to want to copy Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Got a few more of those to give away as we roll along through the summer. We're, you know, Tomorrow is the uh, unofficial official kickoff of football season to get you rocking and ready to go with the start of Big 12 Media Days. Again, we're only up there for the one day tomorrow when Texas goes, but... Thursday, you'll get the other seven Big 12 schools. Uh, you know, SEC media days coming up. Big 10 media days certainly have taken on uh, a different tone, a different feel with the Pat Fitzgerald news out of Northwestern. 17 years and gone. I didn't realize they were 4-20 in the last two years. That's how kind of out of sight, out of mind Northwestern football has been for me. But Pat Fitzgerald's tenure is over. Saw just some scuttlebutt online yesterday that Paul uh, Paul Christ uh, has been mentioned as a possible candidate to take over that Northwestern program. You got fi- to figure Northwestern's probably rolling with an interim this year. And I don't know if they've – I think they're going to make their defensive coordinator their interim head coach. And Paul Christ is, is obviously familiar with the Big Ten. Uh, that Maybe that's a, an answer, but – uh, you know, newly hired Texas analyst Paul Chris could be the next Northwestern head coach or at least a candidate for it. We'll see how all that turns out, if indeed something comes of that. But at any rate, uh, Cameron, do we have a winner for our Dave Campbell's Texas we Football do. Magazine? We do. Congrats to Jeff Cooster for today's winner, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. On the note of Northwestern, what do you think the chances are that Brian Hartline takes over as the head coach eventually. Uh, can, I, can I just address something real quick, Cam? Yeah, you want to? Uh, from the Twitter machine. No, I, we're talking about the draft, and Will Gasparino had the let's ride with the hook'em emoji mm-hmm. yesterday. 
And I said, it would be huge if indeed they get him to campus. And somebody said, Jeff, he committed to Texas. That's what he was saying. Sorry, did he say, yes, I'm coming to Texas? I'm sure he is. But did he outright say, yes, I'm coming to Texas. I'm coming to campus. No, he didn't. So excuse me for trying to be a good reporter and have a, have a little Yeah, yeah excuse sense. you, Jeff. Actually, F. technically, I believe. Half um, me, right? Didn't he technically sign? Him he and signed, Travis? Yes. Yeah. Does not mean anything, folks. Does not mean anything. Oh, jeez. I just, I, I love, I really do love and appreciate 98% of the people who follow my work at Horns 24-7, the people who listen to the Longhorn Blitz podcast, and the people who listen to this show and participate. Like ninety, I'll even go a step further. I had ninety nine percent. You'll never know how much that support means to me. But it's that other one percent that just makes you want to just sometimes just gouge your eyeballs out with a grapefruit spoon. That's your ick, Jeff. I, I don't know, man. I'm just (laughs) you know, Cam. At the end of the day, what it boils down to, man. I'm just I'm just tired. Tired of a lot. Yeah, somebody said, there goes Jeff again. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think I think I sometimes, and I know I've worked on it and I've talked about it, we've joked about it on the show, under some circumstances, I, I think I'm well within my right to let off a little steam and complain every now and then. I think I, think I at least deserve some of that. So whatever the case is uh we move along here in hour number two uh let's go ahead and get to some specs text line feedback from the first hour back to the baseball discussion that we had around an hour ago uh somebody asked the questions troy tulowitzki the next baseball coach if david pierce fails i don't know i mean i i would think here's the deal here's how i view all that some of the candidates you went after and i'm not saying it's these same candidates but the caliber candidates you went after uh, when you moved on from Augie Garrido in 2016 and hired David Pierce, whether it was John Savage, Pat Casey, Tim Corbin, Brian O'Connor, Kevin O'Sullivan, guys that had either recently won national championships or were about to win national championships, the best coaches in the country. Cam, I think you'll agree with me on this, and if you don't, obviously feel free to say something. If the time comes where Texas makes the decision to move on from David Pierce, I feel like the program is in a much better position and the job is a much more palatable job at that point than it was when David Pierce took it. Because honestly, it, it and I've said this, and I, I really sincerely, I'm not blowing smoke, I really do admire David Pierce for this. It takes a lot to understand I'm following Augie Garrido who followed Cliff Gustafson. Like, it's a really, and you can go back further than that, obviously, but it's a really big deal. You're following, again, I've said it before, you you rank the top five college baseball coaches ever. Those two are very much in the discussion. Yeah. And to be the guy willing to step up and say, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that knowing full well everything that comes with it, to me there's something admirable about that. But whoever takes the job after David Pierce – the the weight of that it's Texas baseball, so there's always gonna have it's always gonna have a, a weight to it. It's always gonna carry a weight, but I feel like the weight is the burden is lessened 
by the fact that David Pierce did follow those two guys and has had success. Is it as much success as his fan base wants? No, but you've won a couple of conference championships. You've had trips to Omaha. You've been in the national semifinals. Let's show that Texas, even in, in this day and age of college baseball with limited scholarships and the portal and everything else, that this program can still compete at a really high level. So I feel like whenever that happens, maybe it's too low, maybe it's not, but I feel like if, if you get to that point, whenever that point comes, that pool of candidates that you were after that wouldn't touch this job with a 10-foot pole in 2016, I feel like that pool is going to be much deeper the next time you have a coaching search. There's nothing harder, I think, coaching than taking over for a guy like that. There's And there's certain programs that don't have that expectation. I think Texas baseball, along with Texas football, you can, put, you can throw in volleyball, golf, whatever. It's a position that no matter who the coach is, your expectations never change. For a program like Cincinnati, with Luke Fickle gone, you know, if Cincy doesn't make the college football playoff in the next five years, I don't think anyone's going to be like, wow, the expectations have dropped off for Cincinnati. Because, you know, in fairness, compared to the other Power 5 conferences, they aren't in the same playing field, right? Mm-hmm. For Texas baseball, not the case. It's the program that Omaha or bust is a mantra. The fans believe it, the players believe it, and you know Coach Pierce believes it because this year is going to be an Omaha or bust year form, in my opinion. On Tulo, I think if Tulo wanted the coach and, and move up the ranks, he would have moved somewhere else. I mean, he's a guy that after his last full-time season with Texas, I mean, he just focused more on his family, right? He's been in Austin since he technically, I would say, left the program because he was still, you know, he had some hands-on roles right. this past season, but he's always been in Austin. He's a guy that I think if he really wanted – he could put his mind to it. He could have been a head coach at a Division One program by now. Yeah, I want to shift from baseball and get back to football because this kind of jives, Cam, with what we were talking about, ties into everything in terms of expectations for Texas and what we're looking forward to. And coming up in the next Longhorn Notebook, it'll be more Big 12, basically focusing on the other 13 schools, right? These questions for Big 12 media. Yeah. Games. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, and also, Cam has a quick flex update, too, uh, in the next segment. But – this, te- this uh, texture said, most interesting storyline as far as Texas goes. Can Quinn Ewers live up to his high school ranking and lead this team to win sometimes in spite of play calling? Cam, you addressed this question, but real quick, I think it ties into, you know, the de- those three things I talked about that could hold Texas back. The defense not significantly improving from last year, not staying on that same trajectory. Quinn not raising his level of play in Sark's game management still being an issue, something that we're talking about on Mondays as, as something that went wrong on Saturday. You don't need all three of those things to go right every game for you to have the kind of season you want to have. But on on most Saturdays, you're going to need at least two of those three. So if the defense is playing well and and Sark is managing the game, maybe that's the day where Quinn doesn't have to be perfect. He can be a little off and you can still find a way to win the game. And that goes for – that's a really big stride that that championship teams make at some point is just winning ugly games. Go back and look at every national champion. Go back however far you want to go. Guarantee you that team somewhere along the way won an ugly game. That's not counting the national champions who have had losses during the regular season. Everywhere along the way, one of those national champions won an ugly game. Now, Texas had to win two ugly games. They had to win the game in Stillwater in 05 and then went to College Station and won a game against A&M that for all intents and purposes was bowling shoe ugly. Still won the game by double digits, won it by 11, but... 
obviously it wasn't what anybody was expecting. So that's a big part of it. And, and you know, to, to do that, you need at least two of those three. I mean, if you only get one of those three and you're still winning the game, then, hey, hats off to you. But you look at those games, Cam, that Texas won the two that really stand out, those tight games, the Baylor game and the K-State game. And I'll even throw Iowa State in there. You had two of the three components you needed to, which was you needed the defense, you needed Sark, and at that point you need Bijan and Roshan to do what they do. And you got that in Manhattan, you got that at home against Iowa State, and you got that in the regular season finale against Baylor. Mentioned the ugly games part of it. Sark is 4-9. and in one score games at Texas. I thought it was four and ten. Maybe be, it's four and ten. I, yeah, I might I think have made a miscount. And usually that'll flip the next year, right? But that will flip because, you know, whether the team gets better, more depth, experience, coaching gets better, whatever it is. Part of that flip is also winning those ugly games, right? You just you just named a bunch in the in the past for Texas. That's that's a huge part of it for next season. I think it's a huge stat that Sark has to turn around is the one score games and I think part of that is just year three he has his guys he has his coaching hasn't been you know too much coaching turnover like we saw during the end of Mac Brown Sears and Charlie Strong into Tom Herman it feels like he's got a really good staff we mentioned bringing in uh, Paul Chris as an analyst he had Gary Patterson last year to help out PK and now Chris this year with, with Sark himself on the offensive side you got to find a way to win those one-score games. I love this. <laughs> this text about Purple Buffalo's daddy, who we've we've gone at it on the Specs text line, but this may be the single greatest text he's ever delivered to the show. Uh, said Jeff, did you see Aggie chose Weiner as their new pitching coach? I'm not sure if it's Max Weiner or how the last name is pronounced, but yes, Purple Buffalo's daddy. I did. <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> Do we have a correct pronunciation? Cam on the A and M pitching coaches list. Working on it. <laughs> Working on it. Hold on. Oh, That's like a good man. wiener joke to get Jeff going. Wow. Hey, I, I I have the uh well attention span, yeah, but I have the uh the same humor threshold as like a thirteen year old. So I mean it's spelled wiener. I'm gonna go with Max Wiener. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the people telling me why don't I cry about it and to tough it up. That's that's fair. It's fair. It's all good. Uh, Jim from Lago Vista, Victor, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, appreciate everybody sending in whatever they want to on the Specs text line. Pooped 11 times in one day. Great to hear from you, as always. Uh, CB says Mike Perrin got ripped to shreds on how the coaching search for Augie's replacement went. I mean, yeah, he got ripped to shreds, but, I mean, he was close to hiring a couple of different big-time names. I mean, he was close to hiring Tim Corbin. I know that. But that just didn't happen, and he ended up with David Pierce, which is really random because – Cam, I don't know if you remember, but there was that 2016 baseball season that Texas had a weekend series against Tulane. And I don't remember if they lost the series or got swept. But at that point, we're already in the press box. We're talking about the inevitable. And I remember Ryan Altulo was on the on the beat for the Statesman at that time covering baseball. We're talking about, hey, you know, who's, who's going to be the right guy for this job? Who can take over this program? And I, I'll give Ryan Altulo credit. He said, you know what? I'm I don't. I don't know if I think this guy might be a pretty good hire if if you got down the list far enough. And of course, the guy he's talking about was David Pierce, who was the head coach at Tulane at the time. So I'll always give Altulo credit for having some foresight on that. Texter says I think there are a lot more coaches to choose from now. As you watch college baseball, there are some good ones out there. And I do dig the fact too that college baseball, in terms of being a 
kind of the national footprint, the national exposure for college baseball can continues to grow. Yeah. I do that. Bizarro Dale Dudley hit the nail on the head. Imagine the poor bastard that takes over Texas swimming. Yeah. Good luck with that. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, the reason why Eddie Reese came back. Texter says, not to mention we were in AD pur- purgatory when David Pierce was hired. I like David Pierce for the record. So UT baseball now more attractive because of NIL. But again, we talked about it. I mean, a lot of Is work it? to do. Is it? It's a lot of work to do on the NIL front. I've heard Rod and Harge talk about that in the afternoons. I know, I know E. Hogan's talked about it in the mornings. Uh, this texture says Tulo does not want the job too much work. Again, does, does Tulo want to be a head coach? Yeah. I know he uh, was in the mix for USC when that was talked about. Uh, his name was thrown around for, for the Miami vacancy. So that's something to think about. Texture says, can anyone give me a single year where David Pierce actually underperformed? 2019. I don't care what the circumstances are, and he'd be the first to tell you. It, at Texas, you go 27-27 and 27 and don't make the conference tournament. You you can't put enough lipstick on that pig. You can't shine that turd enough to make it gleam. Like it's that that's bad. That's not good. Uh so appreciate the feedback on the specs text line. Uh this text David Pierce was a horrible hire. Horrible? Like horrible is a stretch. Three college world series appearances. I, I wouldn't say horrible. Yeah. But, you know, has it, again that falls into David Pierce has had success, but you as a Texas fan, I mean the royal you, not you texter, but what how what do you define as uh, what level of success is that, and is that meeting your expectations? Texas says, how can Pierce be on the hot seat with one game away from the College World Series? Well, I think what Cameron was saying is if you don't see if for the third year in a row we see some of the same issues, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, we see some of the same issues specifically with pitching prevalent for the third year in a row as opposed yeah. to just the second year in a row, now you're talking about, okay, now are you talking about a systemic issue? Yeah. And is that something that only gets resolved if somebody else is in charge of working with pitchers and in charge of recruiting and in charge of player development, which at that point, it, it's it, the David, Pier- David Pierce is – by taking on the role of pitching coach, he's saying publicly, okay, the buck stops with me. If this doesn't get fixed, then you know you know where to point the finger. We're going in the year seven of David Pierce, right? Has not appeared in the College World Series championship final. He's been in the Omaha three times. Now, you, you can say he's underperformed, Yeah, and I would agree with you. Now, I would not say he's a horrible hire because he's gotten you to the dance floor he just hasn't finished the tango yeah, yet. I, I don't think you can't say he's been a horrible hire. That's I, I just think that's that's just not right. I just think that's that's just incorrect. I just don't I don't I don't believe that's the case. Uh, this texture said we got to stop celebrating just getting to Omaha. It's not enough at Texas. Fan base is getting complacent with just getting there. Uh, hosting a regional needs to be the goal for UT baseball. I agree. More more years than not, if you're you've had a you've had a good year. If you're hosting a regional, you've had a good year. Have you had a great year? And Texas baseball is one of those programs. Again, how do you define a great year? Is a great year getting to Omaha, or is a great year finishing the job in Omaha? That's part of what the discussion we're having right now is. Uh, so Longhorn fans are delirious, still living on their laurels from decades ago. I I do think. Here's the, here's the thing. I, Texas baseball fans, and I know we got to get to a break, but I just want to make this point real quick. 
Texas baseball fans, like if you're a legit fan of Texas baseball, most Texas baseball fans that I know are pretty realistic about what they expect from the baseball program. I, I really do believe that. The, the folks that are at just about every game that can really sit down with you and talk baseball, really understand the game. I mean, those fans that are out at Dishfog Field on a, for a Tuesday game against, you know, UTRGV, those are your passionate baseball fans. And I, and I think those people understand there are various levels of success, and I don't think they would call David Pierce a horrible hire, but – you know, I don't think they would say yeah, the program is garbage, but I don't think I don't think those fans have inflated expectations of where the program should be or unrealistic expectations because I think those fans understand the college baseball landscape now. It's not like it was 20 years ago when when Augie really had things rolling, or or 30 years ago when Coach Gus was at the end of, of his run, nearing the end of his run. It, it's not the same. There are more schools now that have devoted a lot of resources to baseball, and, and we see that every year. We, you see different teams getting to Omaha. You see different programs emerging to be among the nation's best. So I, I think there's the passionate baseball fans that follow Texas baseball, I think they understand the, the reality of the situation. I think it may be the casual fan that looks at baseball from a 30,000-foot view up until you get to – the Big 12 tournament, and even the NCAA tournament that I think might have unrealistic expectations of what to expect. Like, hey, are, are we supposed to be in Omaha? Are we supposed to be winning this thing? So that's just my opinion. Just throwing that out there for discussion. Uh, feel free to chime in on the specs. Text line 337-3776. Got to take a break. Come back. Flex update. And our second hour Longhorn Notebook is next on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the tower. Hour two of Light the Tower continues on this Tuesday afternoon in Austin, Texas. Cameron Parker, Jeff Howell will be back in a brief second. Craig Way will be back tomorrow as Light the Tower will be live from Jerry Roll at AT&T Stadium. The Big 12 Media Days, the last Media Days as the Longhorns will be attending as members of the Big 12 Conference next year. Might be Atlanta, might be Nashville, might be Birmingham because they'll be in the SEC. But we'll find out more. We're also going to find out a little bit more about the high school area coverage in our Flex 30 update. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit brainvault.com and join the movement. Again, real quick update on flexatx.com. Derek Cohen dropped a 26-6-8 district update as we get ready for the high school football season. On the baseball side, we mentioned Travis Sikor, uh, the University of Texas signee, was drafted in the third round, the first pick by the Washington Nationals, 71st overall. Congrats to Travis and his family. Now, of course, he is a Round Rock Dragon alumni and, and Jeff in this update. Just wanted to drop a little bit nuggets on Round Rock Dragons in their success in the MLB draft. In fact, last time a 
Round Rock Dragon was drafted in the MLB selection. I believe it was uh, Mason Thompson, also, who plays for Man, the been a Washington Nationals. He was in the third round. I believe he was picked by the San Diego Padres, Padres yeah. overall. But he's was that the like 2015? Yeah, 2015, 2016. Uh, Ryan Langerhans. You know, you know how how I know that as crazy as it sounds. Uh, Mason Thompson and Austin Todd were in the same recruiting class. Yeah, isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah, because those guys uh, both signed when Augie was still the head coach. Austin Todd, six years in the Forty Acres, um, and then also John Danks, round first Rock round Dragon. pick of the Rangers, yeah, two thousand and three. He had a solid career, and then uh, Ryan Langerhans, of course, son of. The legendary coach Langerhans. He was also, I believe he was picked in the 1988-1998 draft in the first the two Braves. rounds as well by the Atlanta Braves. Yes, indeed. So, Ron Rock Dragons, some success in the MLB draft. So, again, congrats to Travis Sakura For Texas fans who are, you know, waiting to find out. I don't think he's officially made a decision, but, you know, seeing how the Nationals drafted uh, Dylan Cruz and Yo-Yo Morales from Miami, you know, they are definitely going to be playing the MLB, so the Nationals can use some more money to pull up for Sakura, But uh, Sakura probably going to be coming to a baseball diamond near you in the future in the minor leagues. Wasn't Matt Nockreiner drafted out of high school? Did you mention him? I don't know. He was drafted the same year Danks was. I don't in, remember. Uh, it was later. 2003. I, I want to say he was Nockreiner. I want to say he was like a 12th round pick maybe. Maybe later than I remember, but... Anyway, it's a really good round rock team. Nick Peoples was on that team. That was the team that lost to Fort Bend Elkins in the state championship game. Not the uh, not the Wardell Starling uh, James Loney team that beat Westwood in the semifinals the year before. But. So Travis Shitling, he was in the fourth round, ninety mm-hmm. eighth pick, and then you also had Matt. Not said not Griner. Not Griner. Yeah. Make sure I say it for now correctly. He was fifth round. Fifth round. Okay. Fifth round. One forty two. Apologize to the And then Mike Chambliss. The Mets drafted him in the 43rd round. So was that four players from that Round Rock team drafted? Yeah. Plus you had... That's pretty damn good. Plus you had uh, Chance Wheelis and Nick Peoples were on that Round Rock team. Yeah. Like Jordan Danks was a sophomore that year. The younger brother of John, yeah. yeah. Ended up being a really good, uh, really good player at Texas. Yeah, not bad. Uh, not bad. So, all right. Uh, thank you for that update cam and we'll be checking out to see if any more central texas kids get their names called today which longhorns come off the board as the major league draft wraps up rounds 11 through 20 can you believe like they used to do like 60 70 some odd rounds of this thing and they had more than just i mean they had how many drafts per year i mean you had a, a draft i believe in the summer and you had one in the spring right you had two drafts i mean the amount of MLB drafts, if you go back, it, it's incredible. But also, the you know, there's also a lot more players playing, and you had a lot more minor league teams and rookie ball sis- systems and all that. Yeah, the only reason I remember the draft used to be that long is Mike Piazza was a 62nd round pick, and ended up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, maybe the most incredible draft story ever, missed draft underdog ever in Major League history. I don't know, but. At any rate, uh, let's uh, put baseball on the shelf, talk a little football with this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, Cam, run those questions down. We'll get to the other 13 teams. If you missed any of our Texas talk, a lot of Texas football talk in the first hour of the show, get to the podcast page at hornfm.com. We'll run that down. And we'll have the full rundown tomorrow starting at 10 
with Light the Tower with myself and with Craig. Craig is back tomorrow. We'll be live on the field at AT&T Stadium with Big 12 Media Days coverage with the Longhorns going tomorrow. So, Cam, run them down. I'll answer as best I can. Real quick, uh, Madison Skinner named the Big 12 Volleyball Preseason Player of the Year. Get your breaking news sounder out, sir, for that. Deserves it. There we go. Thank you to John in the Bay for that. Okay, so same questions, but this one is excluding, or these are all excluding Texas. So we're going to start out, what is your most interesting storyline that does not involve the Texas Longhorns directly? Who's going to be that surprise team? Who's that team that's going to come from the middle of the pack or the bottom of the pack and contend for this thing? TCU did it last year. We've seen Baylor do it. We've seen Iowa State do it. I, I, pick, I made my pick, Cam, in that poll I had to fill out for 24-7 sports. I don't think not Can- Big Twelve though. You, I don't think need a ballot. I don't think Kansas. No, the Big Twelve doesn't give me a ballot, and I won't be attending Big Twelve Media Days again, so I won't have to worry. This was the last year yeah. I would have gotten a ballot. You're gonna show them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going. I'm moving to the SEC. I'm de- <laughs> de- yeah, <laughs> taste it, your mark. <laughs> I'm de- I'm declaring my uh, my move right now. Oh, I'll be man. moving to the SEC next summer. Um, Voter realignment is real, folks. For sure, I. I don't think they're going to win the conference or contend for it. My surprise team is Kansas. I just think a healthy Jalen Daniels is that much of an X factor. So I think Kansas. I, I, if we're sitting here, Kansas is a seven or eight win team at the end of the year. It's not going to surprise me. I think Daniels is that good. And a, a, a really, real easy non-conference schedule like last year. Who's uh, their Who's their power five? I think it's Wyoming. Well, isn't Wyoming's not power five? Mm-hmm. So. Nope. Are they back with Duke again? Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, actually, should be Duke. Should be hosting Duke. I think. Is that the back end of a home and home? No, Illinois. Excuse me, Illinois. That Champaign State, or, Illinois, at home in Champaign or in Lawrence. In Lawrence. In Lawrence, Nevada's their week three game. Big Twelve play opens. They host BYU. Travel to Texas, which you've already talked about, is a game that really scares you. I think you and Rod. Host UCF. Pucker factor kicking in a little bit. They are home for Oklahoma, home for Tech, home for K-State. Yeah, I can see it. I can give, see me, it. give me the Jayhawks to be the surprise team. All right, what is, who is your coach that has the most to prove this season, excluding think, Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah, I think it's Dave Aranda. That's who I had for mine. Yeah, because, again, I just don't like the way that thing is trending. You know, you got all most of those Matt Rule takes. Yep. And the guys that, you know, Dave Randall finished developing those guys, but they were guys that Matt Rule staff identified. I don't really like their quarterback outlook with Blake Shapin. Uh, you know, it's Dave Randall in defense. You figure they're they're going to be capable on that side of the ball. I just, I don't really know what to expect from them offensively. I mean, they got you know, Monterey Baldwin and Richard Reese, Josh Cameron and Cedar Parker. And they got some some weapons. I just, I don't see how Baylor is significantly improved from going 6-7 and seven last year. Remember when Blake Shapin started the Big 12 title game with, like, 17 straight completions? Mm-hmm. We thought going into last year, like, man, Baylor's going to be nasty. 6-7 and seven last season. Another coach, there's a couple, but Dana Holgerson, for me, is kind of in that probably, like, top three with Mike Gundy, coaches with most to prove. Same thing with Aranda, right? Won 12 games, but with a roster that wasn't his. Won 8-5 and five last year. Now, I know 12-8 and eight wins are pretty good for a Houston program, but as they transition to this new Big 12, you know, there is not one team that's going to have, you know, a stranglehold 
on the conference. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wide open. They're, it's pretty you know, wide open. You know, Cam, there there are coaches that I, I'm not going to use the term. And maybe you can use hot seat for Dana Holgerson. But I would put like Dave Aranda, Mike Gundy, Matt Campbell. I would for sure put those three guys in the group of you're not on the hot seat, but you really need to start showing something and really turn around the perception of where you are right now. Yeah. And all three of those guys are in very different spots for very different reasons. But I think all three of those have teams that, hey, you might need to, you're not in danger of losing it here, but you need to pick up the pace a little bit this year. My next question was, and it, it, you kind of already answered it, but the under-the-radar team to watch, I think you answered it with Kansas. Yeah, I think Kansas. Okay. And, I mean, I, the hard thing for me is which of these four newcomers can have an impact. I mean, I, I would think UCF, just because of their their roster, a, a veteran quarterback with John Reese Plumley, and a coach that, again, <laughs> it seems like every year he's either – fighting for his job or fighting for a national championship. At least that was his tenure at Auburn with Gus Malzahn. Uh, yeah, I think of the newcomers, it would be UCF, but I just think Kansas, man. I I really dig what Lance Leipold's done with that program. I think for me, it's the team that went to the national championship and was picked fifth in the Big 12 poll. I know they lost Quentin Johnston and Max Dugan, but, I mean, Sony Dykes is still there. And, you know, he's rebuilt the roster. He's added a, a couple big names, JoJo Earl, Trey Sanders, Tommy Brockermeyer. There's some guys there. Now, I don't know if they're going to be – they're not on the college football championship contender list, but I don't know how you can discount them as the fifth team to win when Dykes came in and took that team to the playoff. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I'll throw in another one. The ultimate wild card team for me is Oklahoma because I, I – if you tell me, hey, Oklahoma's going six and six again, I can listen to that and believe it. If you tell me they're going ten and two or eleven and one, I can I can listen to an argument where that's believable. I just have, man, they were so bad on defense last year, but their offense, when Dylan Gabriel's healthy, when he was healthy, they were really good. Yeah. So you know, Oklahoma's again. Oklahoma's one of those teams that. They they could be somewhere between six and eleven wins anywhere in there, and it's not going to surprise me. One of my other questions was team with the biggest question mark entering the season. You mentioned Oklahoma as a wild card. What about Oklahoma State? What's who who is Oklahoma State's quarterback this year, Jeff? Do you know? You know, I've I've compared it. Uh, I've compared Mike Gundy right now to where Gary Patterson was at the end at TCU, and I just wonder if. Things have started started on that downward trend for Mike Gundy, and if it's just time for maybe both parties to kind of be done with each other, and you say that Mike Gundy's an alum, and there were coaches throughout TCU's history that have had success. I mean, you look Oklahoma, their most successful stretch, but you can say the probably the most prominent stretch of TCU football has probably been under Gary Patterson. There's no question the longest run of sustained success in Oklahoma State history has been Mike Gundy. So, you know, I learned this when Texas and Mac parted ways. When you've got a legendary coach, there's no easy way to, to have that separation happen. But I just feel like Mike Gundy's at the point where you're on this downward trend, and I've seen a lot of coaches, a lot of great coaches, Hall of Fame coaches that 
when the plane started going into a nosedive, they couldn't pull it up. So I just I just wonder if Gundy's at that point right now. Alan Bowman, maybe their starter week one. He's the quarterback with the most experience on that team. I think the second most experienced well, we, quarterback. We saw is we Gunner saw Gundy. what was behind we saw what was behind Spencer Sanders last year. And it left a lot to be desired. Mr. Shaky. Yeah. Mr. Shaky. Last question for you, uh, uh, real quick on uh, Oklahoma State, because I'm just infatuated. Yeah, Garrett Rangel has the second most uh, snaps at quarterback behind Spencer Sanders, who's now at Ole Miss, I believe, right? Yeah. Okay, last one for you. We can wrap it up here. Uh, coach or player you're most interested in hearing from outside of Steve Sarkeesian in Texas? Joey McGuire, for the same reasons yeah. that I said Texas, because, dude, when's the last time Tech had any kind of expectations? It's a big year for them, right? Yeah. They got a first place vote in the poll. I mean, it's been through the, you know, the 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 Tommy Tuberville era and you know, Cliff at the end, there was not a lot to be excited about and you know, Matt Wells and now with with Joey coming in there and really just galvanizing that fan base around what they're doing. They've got expectations, and how do they handle expectations now? Because nobody, nobody expected anything from Tech last year, unless you're a Red Raider. Nobody expected Tech to be a team that was that could, you know, have an impact by way of their win over Texas, have an impact on the conference championship race. But they did, and they ended up, you know, with a with a good record and a lot of momentum in the off season. I just kind of want to get the vibe with Tech and see what's going on. Well, their last four games, including a bowl game victory against Ole Miss, they beat Oklahoma, they beat Texas, and the recruiting class really came together at the end. And we've had a few of their commitments and players on our flex show this summer, Jeff, including Will Hammond, Mm -hmm. uh, the Texas Tech commit. um, And then we had the The Hutto quarterback. Yes. And then, um, oh, my goodness, the the Pflugerville, uh, the Hutto cornerback, a receiver who just committed to TCU, but he – I can't remember his name, Jeff, uh, but he visited Lubbock. And everyone that I've talked to that's gone and visited McGuire in Lubbock, it's been nothing but rave reviews about Joey McGuire, Zach Kitley, the experience. He's he's building something. And in this new Big 12 era, we've talked about how it's you know kind of wide open for someone to go ahead and become that team in the Big 12. But it does feel like Texas Tech right now, as of right now, feels like the team that is best positioned – for being that number one team once OU and Texas leaves, which is something that a few years ago you would have been like, no, no, no. way. The, the the thing about TZU that I think Horn Frog fans can hang their hat on and feel optimistic about, at this time last year we were talking about how much of a better fit for Sonny Dykes' offense Chandler Morris was than Max Duggan. So at least you got that going for you. And like you said, Cam, through the, through the portal, and Sonny Dykes did that at SMU, and they've continued to do it at TCU. They they work the portal. That organization, that Sunny Dykes organization, works the portal as well as anybody in the country, or maybe better than anybody in the country. They did it at SMU, and now they're doing it now. So that's the TCU thing. And then two Oklahoma texts on the Specs text line. It says, Oklahoma got a BS schedule, no Baylor, K-State, or Tech. And it, it, Oklahoma's really struggled with Kansas State. I don't know. That's just one of those deals that's just – there's one team that just gives you problems for unknown reasons, and that's been K-State for OU. And then uh, 
This texture said also, but the flip side of that is I really want to see how TCU looks without Garrett Riley. But it's to me, it's still Sonny Dykes' offense, so I, yeah. I, I think they're going to be okay. And the D.C. Horn makes a really good point. So, OU lost its last four games by a field goal each. They also missed a field goal in each game. Only 21 players left over from the Lincoln-Riley regime. So Brent Venables has, for all intents and purposes, gutted that roster yeah. and, and turned it over. So like I said, you could you could tell me that, hey, they're still going to have a 6-7 win season, there's still going to be some growing pains, or they're ready to take off and they're a double-digit win team. And I'll listen to – I think there are rational arguments to be had for both. I, I wonder if it's going to be kind of like Tom Herman from year one to year two where year one, seven and six, and I think all six losses were by what? One score except for the TCU game. Yeah, the Maryland was a ten point loss, and Maryland that one, it was only ten because Colin Johnson scored a garbage time touchdown. And then yeah, that's true. And then in twenty eighteen, of course, that was the Sugar Bowl year where Texas won ten games. So can Oklahoma make that leap? Because we talked about how Sark's been, how usually teams, you know, they'll have a really bad year in one score game, and then the next that start, year kind of typically evens yeah, out. It typically doesn't carry over year to year. Could that right. be Oklahoma this year? And maybe it's the team that ends up being could be top two team. All right, we're uh, we're up against. it. got to take a break. Come back. Close out this edition of Light the Tower on the Horn live, local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. All right, the next time you hear Light the Tower, it will be from Arlington on the field at AT and T Stadium for Big Twelve Media Days. And Craig will be back. All three of us will be at the Death Star tomorrow hanging out with the Longhorns and six other Big 12 programs on day one. Cameron, thank you so much, as always, sir. Ready for ponchos tomorrow. Yes, stay tuned. Chad and Zay coming up next to take you through your midday for the vacationing Craig Way on his last day of vacation for Cameron Parker behind the glass. I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back tomorrow to light the tower on the horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.